Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we've got Tony Mariotti from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, back on the show. We've had Tony on a bunch of times before. He's a great friend of the JMO crew. And, uh, you know, Tony, uh, Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, where he's from, is the land of opportunity. That's no secret. The Lakes area of Minnesota, there's just so many lakes there. The fishing opportunities are so diverse. And uh, we're talking early ice patterns for panfish. And we get pretty specific in this episode. Uh, you know, having Tony on, I don't know, five five or six times now uh, you know we talk about ice fishing most of the time and it's almost always pan fish but every time we have a conversation new things come up new ideas come up new scenarios are talked about and so it's never the same thing and this is no different there's some really really fun takes in this conversation from Tony and uh, just definitely gets me fired up uh, about going and chasing some of these bites we're talking uh, shallow bluegills mostly uh, in this conversation but we we get a little give a little love to a lot of different things but anyways uh yeah tony just a great great friend of the crew we love having him on so let's get to it here we've got shallow bluegills here with tony mariotti this episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. The jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your Cold Snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFloat technology, wear this cold snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice, or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system, we're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D-rings for all your accessories again. Zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFlow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell as your highest performance rain gear. Wear the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves cold snap performance gear hoodies event soft shell jackets and vests all of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com that link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors wouldn't it be great or have you ever even thought about how great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people making a difference contributing to the resources that you love so much the North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov slash jobs. But I definitely have uh, some fun ideas, you know, for us to tackle some some fun, trendy topics here with you. And I really want to focus on bluegills, if you're okay with that, um, you know, just you know, just really pound some bluegill stuff. 
um, and think about some really common uh, situations or common scenarios uh, when fishing bluegills on the lakes in your area, which are very diverse. So there's lots of scenarios we can cover. I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of what I want to cover in all this, man. Where should we start uh, when we're talking bluegills? What would be a fun, uh, kind of a fun breakdown? Well, I always love talking bluegills because along with crappies, I mean, they're, they're my favorite fish to catch, especially through the ice. And this area, Detroit Lakes area, is indeed unique to not only having a lot of different types of areas that hold bluegills all winter long, but we're also unique in the sense of the size of bluegills that a lot of these lakes have the potential to grow. So when you start talking big bluegills, you know, without an exception, you have to be thinking that Becker Ottertail County Lakes area because there's a lot of interesting, interesting bodies of water that have potential to grow panfish. Yeah. Uh, I think this year is definitely a much different year than we would typically be talking. You know, we're at we're at uh, December, well, the middle of December, almost Christmas, and I could still take a boat on a lot of lakes, a lot of the bigger lakes, um, and you know we have no snow cover, so the weeds are healthy. There's not a lot of ice, and these fish aren't where they typically are this time of year. If we were to build up a scenario, what what would be a good scenario? Like if we were talking, um, you know, we're talking bluegills, that's kind of, you know, how we'll narrow this down. Maybe let's talk about some shallower fish versus deeper fish. Let's start with like a shallow bite conversation and just start breaking some of that down, you know, element by element, decision by decision, and try to try to break down a really cool hypothetical with some shallow bluegills. You know, I don't even think I need to do a hypothetical. I, I'm, I've been a friend of Jason Mitchell's and, and your podcast uh, since the inception. And, you know, I'm not out to ruin any lakes. I'm certainly not out to, you know, get people onto a bite. But let me give you some exact examples of some lakes right now that are fishable. And I've seen what's happening. Uh, Little Detroit. <clears throat> Little Detroit is one of the most overlooked excellent fisheries right downtown Detroit Lakes. I mean, you can walk to restaurants, you can walk to shopping, and it has a phenomenal bite, weed bite, and there's so much life in that lake that, I mean, when I'm catching panfish, I'm catching uh, bass, I'm catching pike, I'm catching bullheads, and usually I can even pick away at a walleye or two uh, while I'm, I'm fishing. And this year what I found is I'm finding, you know, a lot of life in those weeds it's a mix of of a ton of different weeds um some of them are you know some sand grasses and you know i'm going out to eight nine feet of water but right now you have such clear ice there's no snow on top of the ice and the fish are super super spooky so i'm learning that you know we oftentimes preach that you go out and you drill a bunch of holes and, you, and you're running and gunning well you're just you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot on a year like this because what i'm discovering is Every time I take a step, I might be blowing fish out, you know, 10 feet at a time. Well, this year what I've discovered is I go, I pick my area and I, I you know, spend a lot of time with maps and over overhead vit or overhead aerial shots. And I'm finding my areas that I can see the dense weed cover. And I'm then walking, you know, maybe a path of 50 feet and I'm popping a hole every six, seven feet. Um, it allows me to kind of scare whatever's going to get scared out but then i have my holes 
And then I go back to where I start and I'll hunker down at a hole for a lot longer than I typically would because I want those fish then to, you know, realize it's quiet again and move back into the safety of the weeds because the weeds are healthy. The weeds are a great place to hide. And that's definitely what I'm doing right now is trying to be a little bit more patient because with the lack of snow, the lack of ice, these fish are, are definitely more skittish than on an average year. Do you feel like there's other adjustments? Do you feel like now that you you feel like under these conditions, you're spending a little bit more time in a hole, does that affect, you know, maybe your presentation selection or things that you try to do to be more um, efficient or get more bites? Do you, uh, do you use set lines when you're in some of those spots in any way, shape or form, like anything to help you be more efficient while you're kind of slowing down your strategy? For sure. You know, um, typically when I'm running and gunning, I'm not, I'm not taking the time to use two lines, but when I'm going to, I know I'm going to sit in a hole for 10, 15 minutes and try to wait for those fish to come back in. That's where a lot of times I'll put up a dead stick just with a small tungsten jig. I'll use a polymer knot and just kind of make sure that that jig sits real nice and vertical, load it up with some wax worms. And I, and I will not touch that rod with the other rod or my active rod, you know, I, I tend to use a little bit bigger baits. I'm trying to, you know, attract fish that have maybe been spooked out of the area. And so I want something with a, a good flash to it or a rattle to it or something just to, to kind of entice those fish to come back in. So that strategy has been a little bit different this year. Um, you know, I guess it's not different than early ice. It's just early ice this year didn't come until the middle of December, which, again, it, it's just we don't dictate what early ice is. Uh, Mother Nature does. And these fish definitely are in early, early ice patterns right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, what would you say? I mean, some of the other conditions, some of the other things that you, you know, I always want to get recommendations uh, in those scenarios of like, you know, your bait selection, your presentation, you know, kind of your progression, your cadence, like all of that, those real fishy topics, like, like, how would you describe your decision making on that? You know, we got this scenario on little Detroit, like, you know, what's the water clarity? Like, what's the forage base? Are you matching the hatch? Or are you kind of a bright colors kind of a guy? Um, you know, talk me through some of that. For sure. You know, I think that that's a great thing to talk about um, now. And this is what's what's interesting about the Detroit Lakes area. And, you know, actually Brainerd Lakes area, Alexandria. I mean, there's a lot of places where this scenario comes in. Um, typically, if I'm in a real clear lake and a lot of these lakes in this area are very clear, we've got zebra mussels. That's where I spend a lot of time trying to match the hatch. You know, I'm using my reds, my blues, my silvers. Maybe I'm I'm using a blade bait. Um, like the new Tika flash where, uh, you know, make it look like there's some minnows coming into this area. Um, I, I'm trying to match the hatch. When I get on a lake that either has been affected by chemicals, you know, uh, whether it's the, the phosphorus, the nitrates that we're using in our lawns and we have runoff in these lakes, that's where a lot of times you get that more milky, uh, just kind of gross, scummy looking water. And then that's where I'm using darker, darker baits. Um, seems like dark colors seem to work well. Fish can, can pick them easier out. And then when I start looking at lakes, like let's use Tamarack Lake, a very popular lake in the Detroit lakes area that unfortunately had a pretty hard winter kill this last year. So it'll be off people's radar for a few years as it should be just to kind of let it get back. Um, but 
when you get in a lake like Tamarack with a real, you know, stained, they, they call they call a lot of lakes Tamarack for a reason. You know, they're in these Tamarack swamps, and that boggy Tamaracky uh, soil type and everything that the lake has. You know, those basically it acts that that's that boggy. I don't even know what to call it, but that boggy surface around the lake. You know, it's like a giant tea bag. It's just that that dirt and dark you know tannin is, is soaking into the water that's where i'm using you know glow baits i am you know spending a lot of time i'm, I'm dropping that uh jig through my glow ring you know on every single drop because i want as much brightness as i can get so i think a lot depends on the lake and you know i think it's a safe bet to always go with match the hatch but you can really pay attention if you drill a hole and when you pop your auger out you know you've got that dark uh, almost looks like somebody poured a, a glass of lemonade around your of, of iced tea around your hole um that's where it, you know you need something that these fish can see you're going to need some glow you're going to need something with vibrations something to to call out to those fish so in those situations i mean it it depends a lot on the lake but when we talk about like a little detroit that's where it's the match the hatch it's the reds the blues the pinks the whites the you know anything that is is fairly natural and is what the fish are eating like when you're chasing down these shallower bites how many big moves would you expect to make in a day versus the small moves very few big moves i have a lot of confidence i know that these fish are in the weeds and one of my favorite talking points discussions that we actually i think you and i had the conversation on one of my first episodes with you where we talked we really broke down how i have i've I've kind of separated lakes into a weed lake and a basin lake yeah and this time of year and I, i won't go back into that but it's a that that's one of my favorite things to discuss because once a person can kind of get that idea of a weed lake versus a basin lake you can you can eliminate so much you know, in my mind, dead water, that I have a lot of confidence that I don't need to make big moves on these wheat, these shallow wheat lakes, because this time of year, early ice, when we're talking, you know, anywhere from under a foot of ice, um, significantly under a foot of ice this year, and absolutely no snow cover. I know that those healthy stands of weeds that I located in the fall are going to hold fish. So I'll concentrate on maybe, uh, you know, uh, 50, 75 foot area along a healthy cabbage bed that might be 200 yards long. But I am simply picking where I know that had some real, real heavy standing vertical cover. So, and there was big broad leaves, you know, you had the cabbage, you had the weeds with the big stalks um, that you could see over the edge of the pontoon, or you could see when you're pulling the kids on the tube. And I'm just working that area. I know that when I drill my holes, I'm going to blow some fish out of there, but I'm confident that if I settle down, they're going to come back. And you know what? If they're not back in an hour, I'm, I'm moving down my line of holes. And then if need be, I will start the process over again, where now I'm going to work down another 50 feet, 60, 75 feet. I'm going to drill another 10 holes and I'm just going to do it. I found that by doing that and just kind of sticking with your program, sooner or later those fish are going to come back and you're going to land on them they seem to run those weed lines and those cabbage beds or the big stocks the coontail and things like that they seem to just use them like like cars use highways just they just go up and down up and down and they're constantly on the move for food or they're on the move hiding from predators they just seem to be real comfortable especially this time of year when you have such healthy thick weed growth 
do you try to do you try to place yourself right on that weed line like or do you kind of zigzag it maybe a touch in the weeds maybe a touch out of the weeds like like how do you sort of balance that yeah i zig and i zag and you know a lot of times like i've always said it seems like i zig when they zag but no i just kind of make a couple of angled patterns and you know i have found usually the best fishing is when i am in the thick of it when i can use a a little bit larger bait a little bit bigger profile and all of a sudden i start picking fish that are are in that thick of weeds you know they can see a lot of things from their perspective in those weeds that we can't see or we can't comprehend from up above we might even be in a clear lake where i can look down the hole and i can see what's going on i can watch fish and out of nowhere, you know, a bluegill comes flying in or a bass or, or whatever. Um, but I find that to be true. And it seems like once you start running that traffic, the fish just keep repopulating. Um, and it, it, as we oftentimes have said, you know, fish attract fish. And when I can get in a situation where I can, you know, get one or two, I know more are going to be coming. So just hang on, sit tight. They're, they're going to be there. I mean, talking about the water column, like, like, you know, maybe, you know, no two days in a row are always the same as far as the bite. You know, some days it's on fire, some days it's tough. Um, there, there's probably a million different reasons for that too. But like for you, do you feel like, um, you know, maybe there's like a progression to it or are, are, are these shallower fish, these, when you're in and around these weeds, are you constantly trying to get um, down towards the bottom? Are you fishing, uh, you know, halfway down the water column? Like, how do you kind of discern that day to day? That, that can truly depend. You know, what I found is typically the bluegills and, and this is true, whether you're in, you know, seven feet of water or you're in 18 feet of water, but typically the bluegills are going to be closer to the bottom than the crappies. So if we're talking, uh, truly trying to just talk, bluegill fishing here i'm getting down through those weeds i'm a little bit closer to the bottom you know i might still be a foot and a half two feet off the bottom but bluegills seem to be able to see you know straight ahead better than crappies where crappies seem to always be feeding up they seem to be higher in the column they seem to be grouped tighter but bluegills they they seem to just kind of like i said run that traffic where they're running you know a line through the weeds and i keep that bait a little bit closer to the bottom actively jigging something trying to get that flash trying to get their attention trying to let them say you know hey hey guys there's something here there's something right on the other side of this weed um so i try to do that you know the dead stick is more just to have that option of if if uh fish comes in and they just are a little bit more lethargic or in times that the the action of the jig actually scares them where now they see this, you know, chunk of meat just hanging there, not moving at all. Sometimes that's what they want. So it's always, it's good to have the option, but uh, no, I think just having the confidence to get out there and feel confident that, you know, I'm in an area that should hold fish. And as long as, as you, you know, feel like it's, it's a good area sooner or later, you're going to, you're going to be rewarded. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. 
the jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your cold snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFloat technology. Wear this cold snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice. Or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system. We're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D-rings for all your accessories again. Zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFlow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell as your highest performance rain gear. Wear the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves, cold snap performance, gear hoodies, event soft shell jackets, and vests, all of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com. That link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners. Everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors. Wouldn't it be great? Or have you ever even thought about how great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people, making a difference, contributing to the resources that you love so much? The North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov jobs. Yeah, man, I just, I just, it always invigorates me. It gets me jacked up when we have these conversations, you and I, because, you know, you know, from an industry standpoint, it, you know, these shallow panfish bites in, in your area, it's the most accessible, like really good fishing opportunity that there is because anybody can do it. You can, you know, basically have the most minimal of all gear. And we're talking shallow water that, does, you know, you can walk out to it. A lot of times, you know, you don't even have to be out at the distance of like, you know, the end of summer where people's docks are in the summertime. You know, it's like the, these bites are so abundant. Every single lake is just, it's like you could line every single lake with it. You know, I mean, you look, look at any one of those lakes in that area. And I grew up there, so I could speak to it too. But it's like in the dead of winter, every one of these lakes that's known to have bluegills in it, you know, there'll be a village of houses out in the out in the basin. And that that's a whole other part of this discussion. But talking about these shallow fish and and just having that nice methodical um you know approach to it and and uh you know just a little bit of technology on your phone to kind of get you pointed in the right direction to where you know a break line is or whatever where the you know you know this time of year the you can see the weeds through the ice it's cuz we don't have the snow and it's it's i mean it's like i just love um how accessible this this is so it's just such a fun i don't know it's just such a fun fun conversation in my mind for sure sure 
you know, and it's funny you said that because speaking of your one of one of your uh, old home bodies of water, I went by earlier today, and <clears throat> nobody's out in the little village out in the middle yet. But it it won't be long. Uh, right now, though, you don't have to go out that far. If you're if you want to do something, you know, somebody says, and I get asked this a lot. You know, where should I go? What can I do? Do yourself a favor. Drive to one of the many lakes. Drive to the public access, and open up Google Maps. That's it. Just open up Google Map. It's going to give you an aerial view of where you're standing. You're standing at the public access. Now zoom in on that Google Map, and you're going to be able to see the weed line, the first weed line. You can see it on almost every single lake in this area. And you could literally pull your sled with a Vexlar, a hand auger if need be, your drill, and a rod and a couple of jigs, and you can walk directly to that weed line that you can now see on your map. And you could pop your holes along that weed line and you will catch fish. Might not be a lake that holds the trophy or the giant bluegills that you're looking for, but it's going to be any of those lakes are going to be places where you can just go out and catch fish. Some of them great for meals of fish. Um, Others, you know, you might go to a lake and do the exact same thing and stumble upon one of these lakes that does have the potential and does hold trophy bluegills and trophy panfish. Yeah. And I mean, you know, maybe this is something you can speak on just in your own experience. Like the weed bite is probably, there's probably more unpressured fish in the weeds on any given lake, including the popular ones. Like, like how would, how, how would you say that? Well, I would, I would say that you're, you're exactly right. I think they're less pressured in the weeds because they're not schooled up as tight. When those fish tend to move out of the weeds and it's usually because of lack of oxygen, which in turn learns, or excuse me, which in turn leads to lack of forage because the forage isn't able to survive there, and lack of the weeds as they start dying off. Then you see the the, the vast progression of fish out to those basins, and that's where I think you know I see a lot more fish schooled up, and those fish are more pressured. When you get these shallow weed bites, like I said, it's it's like they just you know if there's a hundred fish in this chunk of weeds, they're just running, they're just running traffic back and forth. They're looking for food. They're looking for cover. And those, I just don't think when those fish are constantly moving over a large weed area, they just don't get pressured the way. Um, I've had a bite that uh, we had some guys from the ice team come up and we did some product uh, shoots for, for clam. And I said, well, let's just, we'll just fish the weeds. I said, but we got to be out of here at four o'clock because everybody's going to show up at four o'clock and they're going to come and fish this basin. And we, had a, a phenomenal day pounding fish in nine to 13 feet of water in the weeds. And as soon as, you know, the, the basin bite was going to happen and these fish move out to feed over the basin, then people start showing up and those fish get a lot more pressure. Well, those fish that kind of hide themselves in the weeds, they're available all day long. And it just takes a guy going out and, you know, putting in a little bit of time and you can have an absolute blast and you don't have to fight with the crowds. You don't have to fight with the people. And I just love being out during the day maybe kind of wrap up this shallow deal like for you tony you know we're talking about this you're giving us these great recommendations you've been doing this you've been in this game for a while what would you say are some things um you know these shallower fish you know things that we're talking about right now things that are kind of your part of your strategy part of your opinion based on your experience did you just kind of is this just kind of how you fish these shallow fish all along? Uh, or can you think back to when you first started looking into these types of bites? Um, you know, just some things that you did differently. Think, you know, how, how did you sort of learn or build sure. some of these opinions? 
you know, one of the things and that I, I, I encourage everybody to, to spend some time. If you want to, if you want to be serious about trying to find places that hold fish is, <laughs> this sounds silly, but get to know your weeds. Um, I, I remember, you know, Lake Lida, super popular lake in the area. And when I first started fishing that lake, I remember, you know, oh, I, I'm going up in the, up in the weeds to fish. Well, I was fishing pencil reeds and pencil reeds can be phenomenal come March, come April, as those fish are, are getting ready to, to move towards spawning and things like that. But, you know, I was wasting a lot of time going up and hitting the, the pencil reeds and going up and hitting some of the, the, the cane grass that was sticking out of the ice and things like that and trying to fish that. Instead, when I'm talking early weeds, I'm not talking necessarily the, the weeds that you're that are poking out of the ice, the, the cattail weeds and things like that. I'm talking the underwater weeds. And so when I say look at the aerial photo, you'll actually see the color, you know, where it changes from, you know, the sand to now it's weedy. You see it deeper green and then you see it get deeper and, you know, darker water. So getting to know the weeds, I think, is super important this time of year. Um, and that's why I specifically said you're looking for those standing vertical weeds, you know, not the ones that are all uh, bent over and and have you know real close to the bottom or that scuzzy bottom weed um that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking the the things that actually look like you know they could grow in your garden four or five six feet tall bright green with with great big leaves on them um those are the stands of weeds you're, you're wanting to find because those are the stands of weeds that the fish are going to be in yeah dude that is such a good call that is such a good call and that's like yeah, that can be that can definitely that that can be a fun rabbit hole to go down because yeah, I know guys that uh, you know like underwater cameras are just such a big deal for that. Or yep. um, you know, this is this is one thing I used to I used to hag on my dad a little bit, you know, when I was younger because <laughs> I thought he was kind of crazy for doing this, but he'd bring this big daredevil out. And, um, sure. we, we, you know, we would set up a house in a spot, you know, uh, to fish all winter. We were, we were kids, right? We didn't do no hole hopping. Yep. We had a, we had a hard sided shack. You set it up, whatever. But like he would bring this daredevil and he would just cast it down below the hole and, and, and basically, uh, take, you know, create a hole in the weeds and pull up all the weeds that were below the hole so that we weren't, you know, hooking fish and getting tangled in the weeds. He was kind of getting them out of the way, but also, but also, he would always talk about how, like, you know, if they were green or what kind they were and all this yep. stuff, right? And I used to just think, like, I, I didn't know. I thought it was just kind of like part of it. You know, I just thought it was part of the deal. But that was a pretty nuancy thing. And what a, what a simple thing, right? Like, we didn't have no underwater cameras or nothing. But to just drop your lure down and maybe gets hooked on some weeds and, and then you yank it up, like, you know, take a second look at it. Try to identify it. See if there's, see if you see any scuds or anything like attached to it. Cause you know, you, you can see those signs of life in those weeds if you sample them like that. And, um, you know, the trout guys that are super into that stuff too, in oh, the yeah. wintertime, you know, like, man, oh man, you can just find where, um, you can find the weeds that are holding the most life by literally sampling those weeds and getting to know them. Like you said, I think that is a phenomenal point. Uh, to make that maybe has never been said before on here actually so that's pretty solid man well you know one other thing just on that i have i, I remember a picture on social media that was floating around a couple of years ago uh somebody got a picture of me and my hind end is up in the air and my arms are around my head and my face is pushed down in a hole and somebody said this guy's got thousands of dollars worth of electronics and what in the world is he doing <laughs> let me tell you 
I never turn down an opportunity to stick my head down that hole as far as I can get it and see what's going on down there. You can see, you know, sometimes you'll even notice current on the weeds or those weeds are moving a certain way. So, I mean, an underwater camera is great, but hey, back before any of that, guys used to lay on the ice and stick their head as close to the hole as they could and try to see what you can see. And don't overlook it. As, as silly as it may look or somebody might get a funny picture of you uh, doing it you can learn an awful lot by just sticking your head and actually taking a look at what's going on. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about being in that shallower water, there's a, you know, especially in Minnesota, uh, you know, there's a lot of clear water, you know, for various reasons, but there's a lot of clear water over there. So if you're in less than 10 foot of water and you've got standing weeds that are sticking up, you know, three to six feet off the bottom, like, Yep. You can see stuff, man. You can totally see stuff. And, and and sometimes it's just, you know, it can be a mental thing. I think that's true is where when you're just picking that stuff up and you might, you might see something, you might perceive something in such a way that maybe just gives you a little bit of mental confidence because it feels like you kind of learned something or, you know, it just kind of, it kind of puts something in your head that maybe gives you confidence that you see, you actually see the green weeds. You can see them on your Vexlar, but are they green? Do they have big leaves on them? What's the difference between the weeds I'm seeing on my Vexlar in this hole versus the ones I'm seeing over in this hole? Because you can move a hundred yards and that stuff can be totally different. And yep. um, man, yeah, just what a phenomenal point to make. Like if people can just try to pay attention and learn their weeds and uh, sample some of those weeds if they're given the opportunity when they're below your hole. I think that's a great takeaway, man. That's a great takeaway. How, well, we're really breaking down only like one scenario. And I, I told you, I was like, man, we should try to break down like three or four scenarios. I should have known better. It would take us <laughs> six hours to break down like four good scenarios. But we should give, you know, some of these base. And I, I did want to have a, at least a little bit of a base and bite conversation with you. And I think the most fun for me um, you know, has been like the secondary basin conversation when you're, when you're sort of researching lakes or you're looking on a map and, and finding these secondary, uh, um, you know, kind of basins can just be real gems, you know, early ice, uh, I think, um, and again, you know, we've mentioned stuff like that in the past on this, but, you know, let's maybe try to go down, you know, the uh, 15 minute rabbit hole on some of this, like, you know, some of the basin bite uh, as it pertains to like these secondary basins or these bay basins um, in your mind, in your sure. area. Okay. So one thing that I'll say there then is to keep it totally separate. So what I consider those secondary basin bites are the basins on the lakes that I would co- would consider or call weed lakes. So in our, in our first episode we ever did, I, I broke down my weed lakes versus basin lakes. So when I talk about a basin lake, I'm talking about literally a lake that is just a bowl. It, it doesn't have a lot of structure. It doesn't have a, you know, a real, even a lot of times defined weed edge. It's just a deep bowl and, or maybe most of the lake is, is pretty symmetrical. And then it's got a deep bowl at one end or whatever. Those I consider my basin lakes. When you start talking secondary basins, I'm talking about weed lakes. So I'm talking the same lakes that we are fishing the shallow weed bites. Those are the lakes that I consider to have the secondary basins and the secondary bites. And so as winter is coming, and like I said, uh, we get more ice, we get some snow, the weeds start to die off. And as they do, there's there's just a natural progression where these these fish slowly start moving out to the secondary basins. Now, 
they don't all go at once. It's not like a light switch gets flipped and now there's no fish left in the weeds. Everything's over this basin. No, they just slowly start to move out that way. And as they slowly do, that's when I think they tend to school up more. And that's, and I don't know whether it's, you know, they feel safer out there when they're schooled up or that there's just less forage um, or there's not enough cover. But when I'm looking at those secondary basins, that's where I'm moving out to, you know, okay, now I move off my weed edges and we've got, uh, you know, maybe a lot of different bottom structure, maybe there's a rock pile. And then I'm looking for relatively the deepest hole in that area. So if everything's 20, you know, in the 26, 28 foot of water, and then right over here, we have this depression that gets down, you know, maybe the 32 with a, with a one deep hole, a 36. And, you know, that hole might only be the size of a pickup, but I am then typically focusing on the, the deepest point in that basin. Now, there are times when I have much better success moving up, you know, towards the edges of the basin, but as an overall consistency, I'm going to move to the deepest hole in that secondary basin, and I am going to, um, you know, use most likely some type of a, um, a spoon, something that's got rattle, something that's got flash. doesn't necessarily have to be large. It just has to have the ability to attract fish. And so, that's what I'm looking for in those secondary bites. I don't care about the weeds. I'm more interested in, you know, the deeper water because usually that deeper water is going to have a harder bottom and it's going to be surrounded by softer bottom. Well, for whatever reason, those fish seem to want to push over the harder bottoms and it makes them very easy to target for a lot of, especially the middle and towards the end of the ice season. Yeah, man. Yeah, man, what what would you say, you know, talking like a big picture, we're almost kind of contrasting like a shallow bite that we broke down already. Now we're talking this basin bite. If we were just sort of contrasting the between the two, like what, what are some strategies um, or just some, you know, certain details that matter for these basin bites that make it like uh, that make it different? from the shallow bite? Uh, for me, a deep bite is all about patience. Um, I feel you are much better off sitting out and waiting on a, a basin bite than you are on a weed bite. Now, like I said, I, this year, it's a little bit of an anomaly. So I'm not necessarily meaning right now. I'm talking on a typical year where we're sitting with, you know, 18 inches of ice and there's a foot of snow. I will go out over those basins and I will hunker down because to me, there's nothing that's holding the fish there. There, you know, where on those weed bites, there are weeds there. There's something physically standing there that are, are the reason the fish are there over these basins. They just seem to roam, whether they're sleeping there or they're feeding there, or they're trying to, you know, congregate for protection. I'm not sure, but they seem to just roam those basins and I have, I have a, a lake that is notorious that I can go out on and if I decide I'm going to go and I'm going to get out in the 34 to 36 foot hole that it's just a big bowl of a lake I can zip holes all over and I am going to constantly be looking for fish and I might not even see fish where if I just hunker down I seem to have those fish repopulate every five minutes or so, 10 minutes, and I'm able to catch them. And I I put a lot of that in just, that's my luck, that I always go the wrong way. when I, I zig when I should have zagged, like yeah. I said before. And so in those basins, I think it's, you know, that's the time to set up your shack, sit down, flip on your lights if you're out there after dark, 
eat your snack, sit there and watch your Vexilar, have your dead stick down one hole, maybe set 12 feet off the bottom and be actively jigging, looking for fish on your flasher because those fish out over the basins seem to just constantly roam. They, they don't seem to be anywhere or at least I can't figure out why they're, they're there. There's no rhyme or reason. So for the basin fish, I have a lot more patience than I do for the weed fish. The weed fish, they could be anywhere along that, you know, like I said, 100, 200 yard stretch, um, and they're going to be running traffic. At some point, I'm going to run into them. Over those basins, I seem to always pick the wrong the wrong move. So I'll hunker down, sit there, and let those fish roam to me. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, you know, and that there's probably a good reason for why, you know, the, the basin fish are, are more popularly targeted by... Um, you know, and rightfully so, like I'm saying, you know, by the hard-sided shacks or the sleeper shacks, you know, when the village really yep. forms, you know, the basin bite is a little more conducive to that. Like you say, you know, you're kind of just getting in line and you're taking your turn with those fish that are swimming around in that bowl. Yep. What would be a good, like, little story or a little closer? Do you got, like, a two- or three-minute closer or something like that we could go on? Well, I don't know. I can tell you I was out here on Sunday, uh, so four days ago. And I made the rounds. I did run into a friend of the show, uh, old Scott Mackner, 330 oh, Maniac. yeah. I just had him on, too, like maybe like a week or two ago, I think. Okay. Well, I, I will tell you this. I stumbled on to a lake that I have not fished yet. I got out there, and I then proceeded to do quite well on some nice 10.5 to 11.5-inch crappies. I then drove to a second lake, and I pulled up and there was old 330's truck. So I gave him a call and I said, uh, hey, what are you doing out there? And he uh, was elusive. He yeah. said, ah, I'm just out fishing. And I said, huh, well, I can see you. So we laughed about that and then I told him where I was and he said, no kidding, I just filmed out there this morning. He had also never been on that lake. This is a lake within 20 minutes of Detroit Lakes. He and I had fished this area a ton. We have only fished together a couple times, which is crazy, but I will tell you, we were one of the only peoples out on Sunday, and he actually just put a video up of him fishing, and right away I, I recognized that he was fishing the same spot that I was, um, put together a great video, but that goes to show you that there are so many lakes, there's so much potential that you can get out there, especially you know in so many of these lakes areas, you can literally just pick a lake and go out and have some success by by putting together some of the tools that that we talk about we openly talk about on these uh podcasts and on the videos and stuff because yeah. uh we we were out literally on a lake that neither of us have fished so i don't want people to think that it's you know that it's the old spot itis that we're going back to the same <clears throat> tried and true places do i have my spots 100 percent. do i go to those spots when i need a confidence boost or when jason wants to get a show done or when we've got some new products to test or if i want to get kids on fish for sure but i still get a kick out of going out and trying new bodies of water and it's relatively simple to have success if you just get out and do it um can't preach that enough you just just got to do it get out there pop some holes be safe and you can have tremendous success in this area that's it that's it man i love it i love it telling people they can go out and find some fish on their own they don't have to wait for a fishing report man that is like the strongest message if there's one person out there that just tells themselves that they're gonna go 
one time, sight unseen, to a new body of water without a fishing report, do their own research and get out there and try it on their own, and they have a total bust central, just like an absolute terrible trip, they can still go home with their head held high that they tried and they gave it a shot. And they'll probably learn something, uh, something that'll help them down the road, all those things. So it's never a lost cause to just try something new. But the beauty of it is if you put these pieces together, uh, you know, on your own and you, you, you go in there a little bit more prepared with a lot of this information that comes from good experience, guys like you, guys like Scott, like you go out in that area or any area across the country, like just go out and try new stuff and, man, that's where it's at. That's when you're going to find that gem. You're going to be the first one to a hole. You're going to be the first one to find a weed pocket that's loaded. Uh, you know, you're, you know, you're going to be the guy that pioneers something a little bit on a lake that maybe a lot of other people fish, but they overlook a couple things. You know, they just overlook, a, you know, whatever it is. You're just going to, you just got to find a little pocket of fish to yourself and it doesn't take a lot of fish. This is one thing that I've learned, you know, fishing with Jason, fishing with you. We talk about it all the time. Um, you know, it's like, how many fish do we really think are in this area? I think that's a funny thing in people's head too. Like you gotta realize it doesn't take thousands of fish, uh, in a little spot where you're gritting out and fishing. It doesn't take that many fish. You got to realize, uh, uh, to make a great day when it, when they're the right fish and they're biting pretty well, you know, a spot doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to, you know, in your head, it doesn't have to hold 500 fish. It might hold, you know, maybe 10 little wolf packs of three or four in a wolf pack. And they're just circulating and you catch 20 just absolute studs, you know, in an afternoon of fishing, you know, through one or two bite windows. And it's like, I don't know. I, I just think all that stuff is just great stuff that I've taken away from talking to you guys and spending time doing work with you guys over the past. But anyways, Tony, we've done this, man. We got great time here. I'm definitely jacked up. I love talking to you. It's clutch on short notice to have you come on and have a good conversation here ahead of the holiday week. We're both sick. Uh, so luckily we're doing this over the phone. We're not, we're not, uh, you know, spreading the, uh, the germs everywhere. <laughs> we're just calling each other, coughing and sneezing, but, um, all good things, man. And, um, yeah, dude, we'll just close it out. Why don't you share your socials or anything like that? Uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or ask any questions. You know, I think all of us, uh, most, well, all of us ice fishermen, uh, those of us involved with these outdoor programs and things, we, we're happy to share. You know, Jason Durham is a friend of the show. He's a great guy for information. He's always willing to share. And I'll be honest, I get I get asked a lot. I have a lot of people reach out on social media, just to Tony Mariotti on Facebook or whatever, and send me messages. And I am more than happy to give information. If you've got that lake that you've always wondered about, go ahead and ask me about it. Or if you're saying, I want to go and try something totally new, reach out to me. I'll give you a name of a lake or two that I've always been curious about and where I think I would go and start. And I will be happy to point you out there on a lake that I, maybe I've never even stepped foot on because even though I've been in this area a lot, there are still, like I said, just five days ago, four days ago, there's still a lake that I had never been on, went out, drilled five holes and started catching crappies. So it can be done. I'm happy to point you in the right direction. And I love having these conversations with you, Taylor. Right on brother. That's it, dude. That's it, man. I'll, uh, I can let you go for real, man. And, um, 